Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Kelly Dry Full Spectrum is produced twice monthly, and show notes are available at www.kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog, comlawmonitor.com. All links are in the show notes. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Welcome. My name is John Heitman, and I chair our communications practice group at Kelly Dry. And I also serve as a partner on our privacy and information security team. Thanks for joining me. Today's podcast is entitled Smoking Gun, Navigating the Scene of the FCC's Broadband Privacy Rulemaking. In today's podcast, I will provide you with some background, information, and analysis regarding the Federal Communications Commission's latest foray into the world of privacy. Say what you will about this FCC chairman, but in my 20-plus years of FCC practice, I have never seen an FCC chairman take on more and push through rulemakings like he can. Some would say that this is because he determines the result before he starts. Naturally, others would take issue with that and defend the agency's administration of its notice and comment rulemaking proceedings. The fair assessment is likely in the middle. So, why the smoking gun analogy? Well, many wonder why the FCC is jumping into a realm where the Federal Trade Commission appears to have had a solid handle on privacy and security issues. Many segments of the industry think it's a crime that the FCC is proposing to regulate in the absence of a problem calling for regulation. These entities also cry foul that the FCC's proposals would impose upon them more arduous requirements and certainly different ones than those imposed by the FTC. Why is this happening? Well, it's all about the Internet, which is essential to communications in the 21st century. In FCC parlance, there are telecommunications, telecommunications services, and information services. The latter bucket of services, information services, is subject to more limited regulation outside the scope of the so-called Title II of the Communications Act of 1934 an act that saw its last major set of modifications 20 years ago in 1996. A lot has changed since then. Through a series of decisions, the FCC determined that Internet access services were information services. This meant that these services were outside the scope of Title II or common carrier regulation. This also meant that these services were also no longer subject to the common carrier exemption in Section 5 of the FTC Act. That was all fine for a time until the concept of net neutrality began to pick up steam. Net neutrality means that you get to access the lawful Internet content you want when you want it, without interference from your Internet or broadband provider. This means, for example only, that your cable broadband provider cannot block or throttle streaming video you elect to get from Netflix or over-the-top providers. Broadband is what we call high-speed internet access. Think of it as faster than AOL dial-up. We also call broadband BIAS, B-I-A-S, Broadband Internet Access Services. 
Well, the net neutrality controversy has been and continues to be a hot mess. I could spend days explaining, but for now, just know that in order to adopt its open internet rules, which are designed to preserve net neutrality, the FCC reclassified BIAS as a telecom service, bringing it back inside the scope of Title II and outside the scope of the Federal Trade Commission Section 5. And when they did that, the FCC forbore from applying many of its common carrier regulations to BIAS, including its telephone-centric privacy rules, arguably leaving a gap with BIAS providers like AT&T, Verizon, and Comcast uncovered by any privacy regulation. On June 14th, the D.C. Circuit upheld the FCC's decision. So, were BIAS providers really uncovered? I don't think so. The FCC has a section of its statute that is analogous to Section 5 in many respects. In short, it bars unjust and unreasonable practices. The FCC's enforcement and fining authority is likely something that many at the FTC envy. So what was the problem? What was the smoking gun that pushed the FCC down the controversial and treacherous road of regulating the Internet and imposing privacy regulations on service providers? Politics more than anything. Although the FCC is an independent agency, its processes make it susceptible to charges that it is less independent than it should be, and certainly less so than the FTC. Some charged at the White House and Google reworked the outcome of the FCC's open internet proceeding, which was decided like most controversial items at the agency along party lines, with the FCC's three Democrats in the majority and the two Republicans in the minority. Does Google really control the FCC? Some argue that's not the case and that it's actually Netflix that's in control. It's likely neither. Those companies are considered, however, to be edge providers, and they are not regulated by the FCC by and large. So you can imagine how irritated the bias providers are in that at least some of them perceive that the agency is biased against them and that it seeks regulations that would put them on an unlevel playing field with the so-called edge providers. A final point. Say what you will about the influence of industry titans like Google and AT&T. I will say that civil society has influenced today's FCC more so than any other time I have seen in my career. Civil rights-oriented groups view Internet access and privacy as human rights. This FCC is more focused on consumer protection than any other in the last decade or more. So, if there is no smoking gun and no egregious behavior needed to be curbed, What's the FCC's justification for acting? Well, we call it the virtuous cycle. An initially obscure, but certainly no longer so, provision in the 1996 amendments to the Communications Act called on the FCC to ensure that broadband infrastructure is being deployed and adopted in a timely manner. Think of all those surveys with South Korea in first and the U.S. way down on the list. The FCC has used this provision to justify all sorts of regulation, drawing scowls and praise along the way in an increasingly partisan communications regulatory landscape. With respect to privacy, the virtuous circle spins as follows. If consumers are confident and don't need to worry that service providers will do surprising or evil things with their personal information, they will consume more bias. Providers will get more revenue, which will in turn spur investment and innovation. This in turn will spur the deployment of more broadband infrastructure, which is essential to growing an innovation economy that stays ahead of the rest of the world. And so, protecting privacy has become a core mandate of the Communications Act, which a court may someday say is or isn't really so. 
So what is all this buildup about? What did the FCC actually propose, and how bad could it really be? Well, the agency's notice is a 150-page sprawl of just about every imaginable privacy regulation that could be proposed. Responding in kind, several parties filed comments in excess of that length. Some, including the FCC chairman, remind us that it's not the FCC's first rodeo. They have been regulating privacy for decades, cable privacy and telephone privacy in particular. Yes, have no fear. The FCC's telephone privacy rules, also known as CPNI rules, are easily among the world's most complicated and convoluted. Notwithstanding this week's open internet decision from the D.C. Circuit, the legal basis for the proposed rules is subject to an almost certain challenge no matter what happens. In the lead-up to this rulemaking, the agency, in an enforcement action, gave new gloss to a 20-year-old statutory provision, Section 222, that had not been there before. Notwithstanding the debate and controversy over the proposed rules, the chairman has indicated that he intends to conclude the rulemaking and issue broadband privacy rules by the end of the year. Nine months is very fast for a significant rulemaking proceeding, but this chairman has proven capable of pushing things through that quickly a number of times. So what are some of the key proposals? Let's start with a few of the definitions. Adjoining CPNI is CPI and PII. Customer proprietary information is the new umbrella term including CPNI and PII. Personally identifiable information includes at least 30 plus data elements. Communications related services is yet another uh, meaningful definition. Uh, here it's narrowly defined so as to create more instances where opt in will be required. Notice is another key aspect of the rulemaking. Detailed content for notices has been proposed, but no safe harbors or model language have been proposed. The FCC also proposes that notice be made at the point of sale and on a persistent basis thereafter. The consent framework included in the proposal also is a key element of the rulemaking. Here, the FCC borrows heavily from its existing three-tier CPNI framework of implied consent, opt-out, and opt-in. Critically, the agency also proposes that consent be obtained subsequent to the point of sale and that the means for retracting consent be persistently available along with other means for customers' management of their PII. Think in terms of a dashboard or some other means in which consumers can actively monitor and change the information carriers have about them. With respect to data security, the FCC proposes a general standard and prescriptive rules requiring, quote-unquote, appropriately calibrated security. This is different than reasonably calibrated, and it sounds to me alarmingly like the basis for a strict liability enforcement regime. Breach is another key area of the rulemaking. Here, the FCC proposes to broaden the definition to include any breach of PII, with no intent standard, no harm standard, and a notice requirement to be done within seven days to law enforcement and within 10 days to the consumer likely far too fast for anybody to conduct an investigation as to what happened. The likely outcome of all this? Too many notices to consumers who are already barraged with too many and begin to ignore them. Another key criticism of all this, as pointed out by the FTC staff and many others in their comments, is that the FCC goes off course by focusing on who has the data and not on how sensitive the data is. The FCC's approach drives opt-in for non-sensitive data classes, 
and treats them like we treat today sensitive information such as geolocation, health, and financial information. Another area of debate with regard to sensitive information will be the content of communications. Some allege that all communications content is highly sensitive, while others allege that it's not so. It'll be a subject of much debate in the rulemaking for sure. Finally, the FCC proposes to prohibit certain practices, providing broadband contingent upon a waiver of control or rights, charging more for heightened security and privacy protections, prohibiting mandatory arbitration clauses in consumer contracts, and more. So that's what's at stake, and here's what's coming. Right now, comments have been filed in the docket. Additional comments, reply comments, are due June 27. Then the real excitement begins with the ex parte phase. Congress and all parties will weigh in repeatedly with industry hoping that enough uncertainty is created to slow down the FCC or at least to rein in the proposed rules. For now, plan on all this coming to a head in mid-November to mid-December. Thanks for joining me today. For more information about our podcast, visit kellydryfullspectrum.com. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or ideas held by Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff, or management.